See, Jesus was making a declaration saying, guys and gals, it's going to be the way I said it's going to be. Just as the scriptures prophesied. Can somebody say amen? Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's V-L-C-C-A-Z dot org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. In your notes, this morning I, I have a lot to talk about. Last Sunday was Easter. Before that, we had Palm Sunday. Now, I'm not here to validate... A particular day of the year, you know, uh, you know, and whether Easter is in this time of year, some other time, you know, that's all moot point. But the real point is, folks, if Easter didn't happen, let's just close the doors and go home because there is no hope. If the resurrection didn't happen, Paul said of the ministers, we of all people are most miserable. If the resurrection did not happen, we have no room to tell the world that there's hope past this life. And so what I want to do is I want to get straight into this. And I have a lot of material to bring forth. At Victorious Life, I have one objective and one objective only. And that is to grow God's people. I have the privilege of being a pastor for that purpose and that purpose only, to grow God's people. The sad thing is the, urch, the, 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 the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. Most of the church is very shallow. Most of the church doesn't understand the Bible, number one reason, because they don't read the Bible. Now, I believe our church is, is, is you know, heads and shoulders above that. Because you've been in this church, if any of you have been here for any length of time, I believe that you are, have a good grasp in God's Word because I spend so much time bringing God's Word. There would hardly ever be a time that you will hear a sermon come across this pulpit that has, you know, one or two scriptures in it. There's generally many scriptures. Why? Because the Word of God always confirms the Word of God. That's why, that's why the, the Peter wrote that the, there is no private interpretation. You cannot leave or take your Bible and, tr- and you can try to get out of it anything you want to. But the truth is, if you want to know what the Bible says, you use the Bible to interpret the Bible. 
The problem is we have man interpreting the Bible instead of letting the scriptures interpret themselves. And that's what I want to do this morning is I want to give you some scriptures, but then I want to give some, some fruits from those scriptures that's going to help us to understand that last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. But if Resurrection Sunday had not happened, <coughs> the title of the sermon, Did the Resurrection Really Happen? The days preceding the Lord's return, people are scoffing at the flood. They're scoffing at the resurrection. Where is the promise of his return? Acts chapter 1. After his suffering, after the crucifixion, after all he went through, look what the Bible says. After his suffering, he presented himself to them And I want you to underline this in your notes. If I didn't already do it in your notes, I want you to underline these words with many convincing proofs. With many convincing proofs of what? That he is alive. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Now, hold on just a second. I got to stop. I brought this. I usually don't bring this up because it, it vibrates. While I'm preaching, people are liking what's happening and they're writing me and telling me. I want you to take your 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 uh, uh, phone your, and I want you to log in. Log in to Victoria. Let people know you're in church. Check in. That's what it's called. Check in. And let people know that you're in church today. Okay? Thank you. <laughs> I brought that up here so I wouldn't forget. Check in and let people know you're in church. But don't just check in and say, check in. Talk about it. Let people know what you're doing. This is the only time in church you're allowed to take your phone out. Okay, so do it and then put it away. Wives, take it away from your husband. Or if the other way around, whichever way it works. Okay, but check in. Let people know you're in church. Well, pastor, if I let them know I'm in church, they might think things. Praise the Lord. That's what you want them to do. You want them to know there's something about your life. Well, Pastor, what about all my mistakes? You are a work in progress, folks. We are all a work in progress. Let's go back to the scripture. After his suffering, after the crucifixion, after the horrific things that he went through, he rose from the dead and he presented himself with many convincing proofs that he was alive. And then I want you to underline this. He appeared to them, not once, not twice. The Bible says over 40 days before the ascension, he walked on this earth. 40 days You see, what the Lord is wanting us to do is he's wanting us to understand this wasn't a a wishful thinking. This really happened. Now I want to take you a little bit further. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. In what? In the good news, that great declaration of the hope and the promise of God, the grace that God brought. It's this good news 
that saves you. If you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that wasn't true in the first place. Now, that's a whole sermon right there. If you hold on to this. Now, I want to go to the next phrase, and I want you to see it's on your screen. I passed on to you, what's the next four words say? What was most important. Now, listen to what Paul's saying. He's saying this gospel message that you've received, you need to stand in, you need to trust in, you need to believe in. But I'm fixing to say, fixing, that's, that's southern, for I'm preparing to enlighten you. Work with me, Pam. That's, that's, yeah. He said, I, I, I'm preparing to enlighten you with the most important part of the entire gospel. Listen to what he says. And what had also been passed on to me. Now, I want you, I want you to pay attention. Thank you, Bob, for underlining. Look, at, I want you to pay attention to this. Jesus died for our sins. Who said that? Who said it? Just as the scriptures said. Didn't say Victorious Life said. Didn't say Pastor Tim said. It didn't say some other Christian said. Who said it? God's Word. Okay? Jesus died for our sins just as the Scripture said. He was buried and raised from the dead on the third day. What's it say? You see, if you want to stand on truth, you got to stand in God's Word. I know people that go to church their whole lives and don't believe in the resurrection. I know multiple Christian denominations, Christian, that do not preach the resurrection. They preach the cross, but they fall short. Ladies and gentlemen, if all we have is the cross, we have no hope. Just as the scriptures said. And then he goes on to basically start giving us many infallible proofs. He was seen by Peter. Then by the 12. Look what it says. After that, he was seen by more than 500 people at once. Most of them at that time are still alive. Though some now have died, then he was seen by James, later by the apostles, and Paul said, last of all, he was seen by me. Ladies and gentlemen, without the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Christian faith would be stillborn. You cannot have a living faith with a dead Savior. If it stopped at the cross, we have no hope. 
Are you with me this morning? So how many ready? Sit down, buckle up, keep your arms and feet inside. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Let's move on. Can we really be sure that Jesus rose from the dead? Let's get right into the nose. Can we really? Let's take the picture. Let me draw it out here. It's Sunday morning. There's a garden tomb. It's still dark. And there's a group of women that are slowly coming through the darkness, possibly because they were afraid to be seen by the authorities. Because Jesus was taken off the cross so quickly, they only had time to, to uh, get his body ready to put in the grave. They did not do the ceremonial preparation. Oh, they used anointment, anointing oil. They used all kinds of stuff to get the body ready to lay in the grave. You know why? It was dead. When they reached the tomb, though, when they reached the tomb, a shocking sight greeted them. The soldiers. What the heck are soldiers doing at the tomb? I'm glad you asked. They were there, but they were unconscious. They were on the ground. The seal was broken. Since when do you seal a tomb? I'm glad you asked. We'll talk about those things in just a moment. And the stone was rolled away. The tomb was open. The tomb was open. Well, afraid... The women timidly looked inside. And I want you to look at this word up there. It's not up there. I'm sorry. I didn't put that in your notes. It's in your notes though. Surprised. Surprised that the tomb was empty. We're talking about people that followed Jesus, some of them for his entire ministry had listened to him preach, had heard him talk about being raised from the dead, watched him raise Lazarus from the dead, watched him do miracle after miracle after miracle. These same women who watched and witnessed those things over and over, surprised that the tomb was empty. Can I tell you something about your life? When you're going through struggles, you're going through difficulties, some of you are shocked that God would let you go through that. But let me encourage you. God is not upstairs wringing his hands. I don't know if Anthony can handle this. Folks, the truth is, if you love Jesus and you're in Jesus and you're going through it, that's all you're doing, going through it. You're not going to live in it. Can I tell you something about this tomb? Jesus was only passing through. He wasn't staying in. It was not going to be permanent residence. Can I hear somebody say amen? Amen. Afraid, they timidly looked inside to find the tomb empty. Oh, what, what must have happened, they thought. Who would have taken the body of Jesus? Could you imagine the confusion that raged? What happened? Where is the body? Why is the tomb empty? What does all this mean? Just like you and me, when we're in the midst of the storm. What does all this mean? Even though God said, don't be surprised when you go through stuff. The question then, excuse me. 
yesterday's pizza. <laughs> Ella, what are you going to do? What, 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 what are we going to do here? I, I, I'm sorry, Ella, I forgot to tell you. If I know your name, you're part of the sermon. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry, Peggy, I'll get to you next. Okay. I'm sorry? Maggie? Well, I said Peggy instead of Maggie. Okay. I'll get to you next. And then I'll go down the line and get Richard, and then I'll get Scott, and then I'll get uh, uh, Twilene, and then I'll get Jim. You're the easy one. Yeah. That was my wife, folks. That was my wife. Okay, let's get back. Ella got us off track here, so let's get back. <laughs> Poor little Ella. The question then, I want to stop in case it happened again. I, the question then is as now, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Can we be sure? Because I can promise you folks, there's not a, there's not a, a few even in this building, that have not questioned. The world is opposing it. The enemy is opposing it. Acts chapter 1 says, many convincing proofs were given that Jesus rose from the dead. What are they? Can we trust them? You see, this is the most important question, ladies and gentlemen, that has ever been asked. Why? For in the answer of this question lies the issue of what happens when we die. So this morning, I want to calmly, I want to carefully, and I want to succinctly go through and examine the evidence with you examining it with me. Why? Because we live, we live in a fallible world. And perhaps you have heard a plethora of conflicting statements. And sometimes you wonder. You scratch your head and say, well, you know, it is a physical impossibility. It is a natural improbability. But ladies and gentlemen, it is a supernatural reality. You've stepped up in faith, you've believed, and you've studied now, here's the opportunity to look at the evidence. What are the evidence? If there is some, what is it? Well, in looking at it, we must first examine the facts of the gospel accounts. Why? What the Scripture says is what makes the difference. So I'm going to give you some pieces that are revolving the situation that happened some 2,000 years ago. We're talking about a tomb. And the first thing that we see about the tomb I'm, I'm bypassing Calgotha. I'm bypassing uh, Joseph of Arimathea who went to Pilate to ask for the body that he could lay it in his tomb according to the scriptures that prophesied he will be laid in an unused, newly hewn out of stone tomb of a rich man as the scriptures said. There was a Roman guard posted. Why? Why was there a Roman guard posted at the tomb of a dead man? Well, because the rumor had it 
that Jesus would rise on the third day. And so the Pharisees came to Pontius Pilate to, to, to stop the perpetrating of a lie that somehow he did rise from the dead. He went to Pontius Pilate and asked him to order a Roman guard to stand at the tomb. Now, go back. It doesn't take much. You can go back into uh, Roman history and Roman culture. And this guard was literally made up of the best of the best. When they had a guard like this, it was literally usually made of 16 men. And these 16 men, they worked on four to six hour shifts. They would be in this tomb area. You would have four that were guarding the tomb. And the other 12 would be in preparation. They'd be sleeping. They'd be resting to where they come to there, to where they have unbreakable guard. The best of the best. So committed were they to fulfilling their job that they understood that if they become part of this regiment, this core group of guard, if they were to fall asleep or desert their post, no questions asked, instant death. Didn't make a difference. They had a job to do and they were set there and their job was to make the tomb secure. As the scriptures said. So the first thing we see there is almost an impenetrable armament. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Did he really? Well, the second thing that we have is what has been called the silent, infallible witness to the resurrection. And that is a stone. Now, I've been to Israel. My wife and I have been to Israel several times. And they have a stone that is there but in the the records of this, which historians have, you can read Tychicus, you can read uh, uh, Josephus, you can read several historians of the time, this stone would have weighed in the excess of two tons. So heavy that once it was rolled into place, it would take a minimum of four strong men to get it out of the way. And the Bible says, that three women were coming to the tomb. Mary, Mary, and Mary were coming to this tomb. Mary of Magdala, Mary of Salome, and Mary who gave birth to Jesus. You think they could have rolled the stone away? I'm not even sure that four men could roll it away because not only was it rolled but it's also rolled at an angle that it was not movable even more scripture declares that the soldiers sealed the tomb now when you sealed a tomb what they literally did is they stretched a cord across the stone fastening it to either side it could have been done with a with a, a metal pin. It could have been in a host of different ways. But they did that to seal the compound. And then they put the Roman seal on it. Breaking the seal meant death. So how many think those soldiers were going to allow that seal to be broken? How many think those soldiers were going to allow that stone to be rolled away? 
I'm just trying to set some things. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I think just these two things arguing against any attempt to take his body. The third thing that I want to look at quickly this morning is the grave clothes. Now, when Jesus hung at Calvary, the Bible says he didn't have a loincloth on. He hung naked between heaven and earth. It was part of the humiliation. It was part of the shame that was encroached upon these people that died this martyr's death. Luke and John specifically comment about going into the tomb. They noticed the grave clothes. And look what it says. They found the linen sheets still in place with the cloth that covered his face folded to the side. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the stuff around the cloth folded to the side. But I am going to talk about when Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Christ, they took him and they, they formally wrapped him in linen, linen clothes. They wrapped his body tightly. And then they put, depending on who you talk to, anywhere from 70 to 100 plus pounds of anointing oil for the sole purpose of putting that body in there for internment. The spices and the resins over the period of that time would have hardened to the fact that it would be like a cocoon around that body, much like a cicada or a moth or a butterfly when they have transformed. You've seen the cocoons. You've seen their shape completely out there. So you have these grave clothes. What does it mean the clothes were still in place? Now think about it for a second. If the grave robbers, they had gotten past the soldiers, think about it for a second. They would have gotten past the soldiers. Just think they would have overpowered the soldiers. And just think they would have got the stone and rolled it away. How many think they would have neatly undressed Jesus No, they would have took the clothes and run. They would have grabbed the body and been on the way. I'm not thinking anybody that would steal the body would refashion the grave clothes in the same place where the body was. Let me give you a picture. Just as the scriptures said, the disciples were in the upper room scared to death because they thought they were next. The door was locked, just as the Scripture says, and then Jesus appeared in the midst of them. Walking through the door, walking through the wall, all I know is the Bible, as the Scripture says, points out the door was locked. The Bible points out the grave clothes were left in the same place. You know what I believe? Just like he passed through that wall that Sunday morning, he just passed right through those grave clothes. And just like that cocoon, they stayed in place. Oh, how come the other cloth? That's another sermon, folks. 
The next thing that I want to look at quickly, what about the empty tomb? What about the empty tomb? Couldn't Jesus have just walked through the stone? Couldn't Jesus have just shown up? No, 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 no. Why? He proved sinner and saint he was alive. He proved infallibly he was alive. See, skeptics have never explained why. Now, I want you to think about this, ladies and gentlemen. They have never explained, denied, nor disputed the empty tomb. You see, folks, when Mary came that Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. When Peter and John arrived that morning, the tomb was empty. When the other disciples arrived that morning, ladies and gentlemen, the tomb was empty. When the Jews came to inspect the tomb, guess what? The tomb was empty. When the Roman soldiers woke up, they were scared to death. You know why? The tomb was empty. God wanted everybody to know. Oh, he stayed a couple nights, but that's not his residence. Can somebody get excited? Okay, calm down. All these centuries, over two millennia, they have never disputed the fact that the tomb was empty. Now think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Did I say think about it? Shortly after the crucifixion, the the, the disciples were hiding. But listen, more than that, they didn't know what happened. But shortly after the crucifixion, the disciples were publicly proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. If they were lying or hallucinating, ladies and gentlemen, all the authorities had to do was walk over to the tomb and say, guys, roll the stone back. We got to go get this body. And they're going to kneel it up on a wall. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Christianity would have ended right then and there. But they went to the tomb and it was empty. They couldn't go get a body because it wasn't there. They got no answer to stand against the apostles preaching. So you know what? The Jews were silent and Christianity still speaks today. Can somebody get excited? Oh, I think somebody's going to be excited by the time I'm done today. The next thing. Thank you, Hensley. I think I will. His appearances. You see, Jesus didn't do this in a vacuum. That's why the stone had to be rolled away. That's why the clothes had to be left like they were. That's why everything had to be statistically and inerrantly in place. Because he's making a statement. Remember, just the week, two weeks earlier, he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
He said, I'm coming in as the, as the Prince of Peace. I'm not conquering king. That was happening on the other side of town when Rome was riding in at the same time. He was riding in on donkey. He said, I am the suffering servant coming to show you how to live a life of peace, a life of peace in a world of trouble. I'm going to teach you how to deal with all of this. And then just five days later, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because life didn't work out the way they thought it would. See, Jesus was making a declaration saying, guys and gals, it's going to be the way I said it's going to be. Just as the scriptures prophesied. Can somebody say amen? Amen. The New Testament itself records over a dozen times that Jesus appeared, physically appeared. He appeared to individuals such as Mary and Peter. He appeared to small groups, to some disciples on a road to Emmaus. He appeared to larger groups. As the scripture says over and over, the disciples, and at one time, more than 500 people And folks, he didn't do this all the way from the tomb to heaven. He did this for over a month. For 40 days, he showed up talking to them. Did I tell you 40 days? For 40 days, he is talking and walking and sharing and speaking and telling them, listen, you might be down for a moment, but I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, he'll never go down completely. Come on, Cody. Cody's sitting on the front row saying, oh, I can't believe what that guy does sometimes. He showed up to Stephen on his death. He showed up to Paul on the road to Damascus. And he showed up to John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos. These were eyewitness account. Now listen to me. You might be able to deny this if you have maybe one or two people as wishful thinking. But it is impossible to dismiss them all. The accumulation of the appearances is so overwhelming that you and I cannot do anything but stand in belief and say, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Can somebody say amen? Now, 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 don't get excited. Let's not stop there. Let's look at some of the personal evidence. The disciples themselves. Now, once again, ladies and gentlemen, as the scripture says, the evidence of the resurrection can be found in this simple truth. All four of the Gospels agree that the disciples expected the resurrection to be the end. They did not expect him to resurrect. Luke records that when the women who told the disciples they saw Jesus, they thought it was just wishful thinking. They had to be convinced beyond their wills that Jesus had risen. Let's look at another point of the disciples. What happened after they saw Jesus? They were radically 
changed. At first, listen, they were frightened, they were confused, they were disoriented, they were disheartened, they were running for cover. Why? Because they believed he was dead. Just like you and I, when a natural death happens, we believe it's done. You know what the Bible says? Jesus, or Peter witnessed Jesus' death. When he came, he witnessed his life. When he came that night and they were going to take him and crucify him, the Bible says Peter thought it was all over. And you know what he did? He denied him. He denied him. All the rest of the disciples stood at a distance, shaking in their boots. The only one that came close was the disciple Jesus loved, John the Apostle. I don't think it's by chance that he is the last one when Jesus appeared at the Isle of Patmos to give us the book of Revelation because he knew John understood and got the big picture. Are you with me this morning? Only John came near. And as the scripture says, you know who it was that got Peter into the court? John. John is the one that got him in there just to listen to Peter deny. Those coming to the tomb fully expected to find a dead body. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus were walking away from Jerusalem. You know why? Their faith died. Just like they thought Jesus did. And the last we see, the disciples are huddled in the upper room. Doors locked. But just a few weeks later, these same disciples were boldly standing in the temple courts preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that he had risen from the dead, that he only is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody can get to heaven by him. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't radically change like that unless something radically has happened, like you've seen somebody raised from the dead. Can somebody say amen? So what changed these fearful demoralists into flaming evangelists turning the world upside down with the gospel message? Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one credible explanation for such a radical change and that is that they have seen a risen Christ and they're shouting, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Okay, maybe some of you are still not convinced. Let me help you a little bit more. The final point, for 2,000 years, for 2,000 years, no one has produced convincing answer to one question. If he didn't rise from the dead, where's the body? Where's the body? This is the ultimate unanswered question. Where is the body? 2,000 years of history. 2,000 years of history. That question has never been answered. As I shared, been to Israel many times, and they're digging everywhere, and they're finding bones everywhere. But you know what they haven't found? They haven't found the bones of Jesus. He is victorious, and you and I stand victorious because he has 
risen. Just like the scriptures said. Can somebody say amen? Now, okay, you may be here, and I, and I am, a, I am a, a, a firm believer of full disclosure. Let's look at the other side of the argument. We look at the Bible, which is the foundation of everything we have, folks. The scriptures, which is the foundation of everything we have. But what is the argument? Well, let me just quickly go through. With all the evidence, there are still people who perpetuate their own beliefs regardless of the fact. So I want to look at the the main four theories that they speculate that prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The first one, and maybe you've heard of these, is called the swoon theory. Now, the swoon theory, basically that word swoon is a fancy word for he fainted. So much weight and pressure and stuff upon him, he fainted. He didn't really die. He just fainted. Now, Bear with me. I don't know how much of this I left in your notes, but I'm going to read what I wrote in my notes. And I want to examine the logic of this theory. Are you ready? He was presumed dead. Presumed dead. He was taken from the cross, wrapped in burial sheets so tightly around his body, anointed with some 75 pounds of embalming spices, He's dragged through the twilight, laid in the tomb, and left for dead. The heavy stone was rolled into place and then sealed, and a Roman guard was placed at the front of the entrance. But he just fainted. So somewhere in the middle of the night, he aroused from his stupor. He found himself wrapped in the shroud in pitch darkness in the tomb, managed to unwrap himself from all the sheets and put them nice and neatly back into a body form, stood up and somehow rolled the stone away from the inside, walked out, oh, and fighted the entire battalion and squad of Roman soldiers to make them pretend like they're asleep. And after it all happened, he appeared in perfect health without spot or wrinkle before Mary and says, hey, what you doing? Okay, so I, I kind of went through the that supernatural period. Let's look at the physical aspect. Think about it. Think about how ludicrous this swoon theory possibly could be. Think about it. Jesus had been beaten until his body was literally in shreds. Slapped, punched, kicked, made to wear a crown of thorns, forced to carry a heavy cross through the the streets until he finally collapsed. Then he was laid at a place called Golgotha. Nails were driven through his hands and feet. He was hung on the cross where he virtually bled out for six hours until his joints were dislocated under the strain. And finally, a spear was thrust into his side, puncturing his lungs and heart. In John chapter 19, verse 33, the Bible says the Roman soldiers came up and they looked to break his legs, but they didn't break his legs. Do you know why? Because the scripture says they saw he was already dead. Can I tell you something? Everyone who saw him thought he was dead. The Romans 
thought he was dead. The Jews thought he was dead. The disciples thought he was dead. And can I tell you something? On that Friday evening, he was very dead. No man could survive that kind of thing. I know this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, folks, but this theory is harder to believe than the resurrection, and only those who refuse to accept the resurrection choose to accept such a fallacy as the swoon theory. Let me go on and let me get out of that scenario. Let's go to what's simply called the mistaken tomb theory. Here it suggests that they came because it was during the dark of night, they came and they wound up at the wrong tomb. They found a gardener, and the gardener says, the guy you're looking for isn't here. He's somewhere else. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this ingenious theory has one gaping hole. The sun's going to come up. And they're going to realize they're not at the right tomb. Am I doing okay so far? The third thing is what is called the stolen body theory. Now, this is the one that is hung around the most, the stolen body theory. In Matthew 28, they say this is the very first alternative to the resurrection. Yet it fails to answer the supreme question, who would steal the body and why? Now, just think about that for a second. Who would steal the body and why? Why, and let's just logically, why would the Jewish leaders steal the body? They wanted Jesus in that tomb at all costs. Why would the Romans steal the body? They didn't care one way or the other. Why would the disciples steal the body? They weren't even expecting a resurrection. Well, pastor, how do you know that? The women were coming on that Sunday morning to anoint a dead body. Okay, well, let's just say the disciples. How will the disciples overcome the the Roman guard that are the best of the best? How would they? And what would they do with the body? And their lives hung in the balance. Why would they steal the body to perpetuate it if it was a lie? Because they're going to die. Once again, folks, this shows it's harder to believe that theory or any of these more than the resurrection. Let me go on here quickly. Another very famous theory, though psychologists, psychiatrists completely deny its possibility, it's called the hallucination theory. It's the most popular because... People get caught up in this, I want it to be something, this wishful thinking. It suggests that, yes, Jesus actually died. But they wanted to, the disciples wanted to believe that he rose again so badly that they mass hallucinated. Once again, the New Testament makes it clear that they were not even expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. It wasn't even a passing thought. He's dead. And when they heard he was alive, according to the book of Luke, 
Matthew, Mark, they did not even believe what they were hearing. So let me just dissect this theory real quick as we begin to wrap this up. In this theory, hundreds of people supposedly had precisely the same hallucination at precisely the exact same time, even to the place that modern psychiatry says this is impossible. It cannot happen. Besides, the Gospels and the Acts show that Jesus, listen to this, did not just appear to the disciples. The Bible says he ate with the disciples. The Bible says he talked to the disciples. The Bible says he walked with the disciples. The Bible says he showed up over a dozen times to hundreds of them at the same time. Hallucination, ladies and gentlemen, some kind of vision or some kind of mass psychosis offers no way to explain this. Facts just do not substantiate the possibility. How many think Jesus really did rise from the dead? Pastor, why would you preach a message like this? Because I know we all have doubts. We all have thoughts. We all have people that challenge our morals, ethics, credibility, integrity. You can't believe that. So now you can go back to them and say, sure, I can. And you can give them proof. You can take them and see what the Scripture says. You see, the resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, is either unquestionably deniable or it's simply irrefutable. There is a broad stance between fact and fiction. Christianity is based on facts, not fiction, not hyperbole, not fantasy, or some kind of blind faith. The resurrection is perhaps the most attested fact in all of history. And all you and I did was look at the surface of it. The only possible conclusion of all the evidence that we've examined on both sides is that Jesus rose from the dead on that Sunday morning that we call Easter. As we sing the songs, as the Bible is full of not one, but two and possibly three things called the creed, the disciples' immutable belief, the resurrection is an immutable creed of the Christian faith. It is the heart and soul of Christianity. Why? Because if Jesus is still dead, our faith is in vain. A dead Jesus cannot save anyone. Folks, and it's not even open to debate. I'm going to make a statement. A resurrection you do not believe, a Christian you are not. It's not open for... You can debate speaking in tongues. 
You can debate when the rapture is going to happen, but you can't debate the resurrection. The bodily resurrection of Christ is the core of all Christianity. Remember the text there in in 1 Corinthians? Paul said, I want to share the most important part of all of this. If it's not true, then everything we believe is false and we are deceived. The resurrection is the hope of mankind. I shared this a little while ago. I know preachers, I know Christian denominations that preach the cross, but they deny the resurrection. Why? It's too mystical. It's not naturally feasible. It can't be explained. I can explain the cross, but I can't explain an empty tomb. So what do they do? They put it in the back drawer of unbelief. Yet unless Christ is risen, the cross cannot save. If Jesus is not alive, the world has no hope. A dead Jesus helps no one, but a living Christ can heal, can save, can forgive, can pardon, can restore, can cleanse, can guide, can direct, can renew, and one day we'll say, come on home, kids, it is time. It's the resurrection, folks, that gives us the ability to face death. I've been doing this for a long time. And I have been, I can't tell you how many grave sites. And I want you to hear me just real quick. I'll be standing in a cemetery sometime. It's like I start hearing voices. Listen to me. Not bad, not like you think. Those voices say, we're coming up. We're not staying down. You see, folks, the resurrection is not just a spirit thing. We're not going to be floating around on clouds strumming harps. It is bodily. When I get to heaven, maybe a little shapelier, younger, more chiseled. But I'm going to look like me. Don't you say anything. I'm going to recognize Cody, and Cody's going to recognize me. You know, the Bible says a little further down there in 1 Corinthians, it says one day, in a moment, In the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. This mortal is going to put on immortality. This corruptible is going to be put on incorruption. And we will be changed. And that same body that went through those grave clothes, and that same body that walked through that that locked door is the same body that you and I are going to have. You know why, ladies and gentlemen? Because he rose one day, you and I are going to raise again. 
I want the worship team to come. I declare to you today that because Jesus Christ is alive, we are alive. But ultimately, it boils down to this. We have to make a decision. Do I believe? Thanks for putting that up there, Bob. Do I believe? You and I must make a decision. For millennia, people have had to make a decision. Am I going to believe what I physically wasn't there to see? We've had Palm Sunday. We've had Easter Sunday. And very specifically today, the question is asked, where do you stand on the resurrection? Bob reminded me of this. Thank you, Bob, if you put that on the screen. I've had a lot of people over the years, pastors, say we can't, we can't correlate this three-day thing. Because Jesus died on Friday and resurrected on Sunday. The last I counted, that's two nights, two days, and not even complete days. But what you have to understand is we're not talking about the Gregorian calendar. We're not talking about the American calendar or the calendar of today. We're talking about the Judaic calendar. Our calendar works on solar time. Their calendar works on lunar time. Jesus, day one, night one, started at 6 o'clock Thursday. The Last Supper. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus, for those of you that went to Israel with us last year, we went to the place that he was lowered into the pit, according to Psalm 88. He was lowered into the bowels of the earth. First day, first night. Day one ended at sundown on Friday. Day two begins at sundown on Friday. So we got day one, day night one. Translate, now go over to day two. Saturday starts at sundown on Friday. Ends at sundown on Saturday. All day. Now I can take you into the preparation. I can take you into, the, into preparing the lambs and so on and so forth. But for sake of time, I won't do that. So now you have day one, night one. Day two, night two. Now understand that in Judaism, any part of a day concludes a day. You can have one hour of that day. And as far as they're concerned, it's a whole day. It's not like we do today. Well, yesterday was a day and today's a day. Any part of the day represents a day. This is how we get the picture, folks, where the Bible says three days and three nights. So you have day one, night one, day two, night two. Day three, night three. Started when? Sundown. So you got Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, three nights. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Three days. Does that help anybody? I thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> the picture, ladies and gentlemen, that we have to grab a hold of, the resurrection is not negotiable. Paul said in our text, if you keep believing, 
Peter, or excuse me, Thomas came to Jesus and said, I won't believe that it's really you. Now think about it. Jesus is standing right in front of him. And he said, I'm not going to believe it's really you. See, some of us have supernatural things happen in our life. God does miraculous things, and we still don't give him credit. We still don't recognize that it's really him. And Jesus said, okay, Thomas, put your fingers into nail prints. Thrust your hand into my side. You couldn't do that without a physical body. Jesus was bodily resurrected. Just like you and I. I have Christians that have told me the virgin birth doesn't make a difference. The resurrection doesn't make a difference. Ladies and gentlemen, all of Christianity hangs on those realities. And I am convinced with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is alive today. I've trusted him all of my Christian life, but I can't decide for you or anyone else where you're going to stand. I love a, a billboard that I saw once and I've seen it on Facebook countless times. But it's a full picture of Jesus hanging it on the cross. And that entire picture is stated there. And underneath that picture there's a tomb that's empty the picture of Jesus on the cross the picture of the tomb that's empty and only three words on the billboard and those three words are it's your move are you going to believe or not are you going to believe or not Jesus died on the cross. This is your move. What are you going to do about it? Jesus rose from the grave. It's your move. What are you going to do about it? Let me take you out of the building. When people challenge you on that, what do you do? Do you stand up like John or do you cower down like Peter? I declare before everybody, Jesus is alive. And nobody is going to make me believe anything else or cower down in any way. What are you going to do? I pray today's message was enlightening, encouraging, but most really challenging. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, we of all people are most miserable. Are you believing that? That is the hope of your resurrection. Let's all pray. Father, this morning, we thank you. We thank you for your grace that truly is sufficient. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you for the victory that was given to us. Oh, Lord, not because of a cross that is now barren but because of a tomb 
that is now empty. You took all the sins of mankind from that cross and you buried them in hell. And three days later, you stepped out of that tomb. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. Do you believe that just as the scriptures say? That's the question this morning. All over this building, maybe you've struggled with the resurrection. Maybe you've struggled with your faith. Maybe you've struggled with standing in Christ. It's time to do like doubting Thomas. Don't doubt anymore and believe. I want to open these altars as we sing. You have something this morning that you're struggling with, you're dealing with. God says, I want to meet you right where you're at. Today is your day. Today is the day to bury that past and to be resurrected in newness of life. That's what it's all about. What Jesus has done. Because of what he did, you can do it too. Amen. These altars are open.
just wanted to bring a simple reality and truth of where we have to stand. We go from Easter to Easter. We go from Palm Sunday to Palm Sunday. We go from Christmas to recognize the birth of Christ. But folks, between Christmas and Christmas and Easter and Easter, we have to live this truth. We have to believe this truth. We have to stand in this truth. And so all I want to do is grow people to where they can know that they know where they stand. I encourage you. You can do this, Christian life. You can do this. You can walk victorious. You can walk with your head stood high. Because that's what he did for us. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you're at. He did it for you. He did it for me. And because he did, we can do it. You believe that? He's risen. He's risen indeed. Just like the scriptures said. Can somebody say amen? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.